Hey there, language lovers. I'm Shannon Kennedy, co-host of the Language Hacking Podcast, along with Benny Lewis. And in this episode, we are chatting with Elfin Waters, a native Italian speaker and teacher, creator of All About Italian and host of Cook and Chat. In this episode, we cover using Instagram as a language learning tool, the power of compounding in language learning, slow learning, creativity in language learning, what language retreats are and how to pick the right ones, plus learning specific Italian dialects. If you enjoy this episode of the podcast, which we hope you do, we would appreciate your reviews. You can let us know what you think by visiting languagehacking.com slash review. All of the links and resources in this episode are listed for you in the show notes. So let's get on to our conversation with Elfin. The links and resources mentioned in this episode can be found at languagehacking.com forward slash 55. Welcome to the Language Hacking Podcast from Fluent in Three Months. Hello, welcome to the Language Hacking Podcast. I'm Shannon here with Benny Lewis, and today we are talking to Elfin Waters, an Italian teacher and native speaker about her experience both learning and teaching languages. So let's go ahead and get started. Elfin, in your own words, what is your story about how you got into language learning? Um, I've always had language learning in my life. I, my parents met while they were attending a, a course of French. So uh, he, he was American and she, she was Italian, but they met in France. So, I mean, language learning sort of got everything started for me. <laughs> and so I grew up in a family that prioritized language learning, even, you know, way back when you couldn't do much except, you know, open a book or be lucky if you had a native speaker within within reach. But uh, I always, I, grew, I was lucky enough. I mean, I feel I was lucky to grow in um, a family that thought, no, it was a big deal to, to learn languages. So that's, that's my story. And so one of the first things that they set about to do was getting me to learn a few other languages as well. And so I, I, that's how I, I learned French. Um, first at school and then traveling, I discovered the, the magic of um, discovering other sides of your personality, being seeing that you can be another person through through another language, you know, and and that's just opened the world for me. I learned a bit of German. I'm a very proud A1 German speaker. That is, I, for the last 25 years, I'm an A1. I, I had very, um, very, it was not a pleasant experience learning German. And I've tried to go back to it. And I just, just doesn't, you know, when you're traumatized at school, not traumatized because it wasn't that big a deal, but you're not inspired and you just feel like every time you start to go back, you're back in the classroom. So it's just me and German aren't meant to be. And I'm, no, I'm a um, language dabbler. Uh, I've dabbled with Russian and uh, uh, Romanian when my parents were working in, uh, in Romania and a um, couple of languages. Then in uh, at the end of 2013, I sort of before, let's say at the beginning of 20, 
10, I sort of had started giving up on languages, not in any intentional way, you know. It was just that I gradually was preoccupied with other things. Oh, I'm growing up. I have to pay the bills, get the job done, do this. Oh, I don't have time for, oh, well, but that's because I'm busy. And I thought it was a good thing. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm busy. I'm, I'm an important person. And I started without realizing, because this doesn't happen overnight. It's such a gradual, imperceptible thing. You say, oh, well, you know, I'm not doing this, but because I don't want to. And all of a sudden, you wake up one day and you realize that, well, at least that was my experience. I don't know how many people that happens to, uh, that I'd stopped doing things I really enjoyed. And I remember a person, asked, a, a student asking me, hey, Elfin, so what are your hobbies? And I I don't have any, I realized I had let go of all of my hobbies. And for what? Because I thought, well, you know, it's time to drop. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what I was thinking. Then fast forward, I had, um, at the end of 2013, I had some health issues, underwent surgery, and I had to recuperate for the longest time. And I had a lot of time on my hands. And I had to heal. I was really quite sick. And I started on Spanish. And, and it was wonderful. And that's when I started really remembering it. So it's like, how could I stop this? You know, how could I stop learning a language? How could I stop doing something that is so me that I enjoy doing that, you know? And, and the benefit of learning Spanish when I was so sick was that it took me out of my day to day discomfort. And you know, when you're learning a language, you are thinking about the future. Even if your present is not so great, you are thinking forward. You're connecting with other people who share your passion and are talking about these things that you, you enjoy doing. And the Spanish speakers I met were incredibly supportive and they just opened up a world. And I just decided, I, I, because I was not well, I, I couldn't, you know, spend, I had a lot of time, but I couldn't spend a lot of time, uh, learning because I had to recuperate and, and go go easy, take it easy. And so I just learned the the art of spending a little time with uh, my languages at the time. And it, it was, you know, you know when you have a bad time, but it's also a good time because you get all these perceptions, epiphanies, you just realize, wow, I nearly missed it. I knew I would have gone on with my life if this hadn't happened. And I would have missed out on all these things that I truly enjoy that really make my heart sing. And yes, so that's, that, that, that's it. And um, that's my story. <laughs> and how did that then um evolve into all about italian and your passion for helping people learn about it the italian language and italian culture well i started teaching italian by accident again because i was sick i needed to pay my bills i lost my job everything so i started working online because you know i could work from home and uh by accident, I got some lesson requests for Italian. I didn't even know there was a market for Italian. And uh, I started, at the time, I was really fed up with Italy, among other things. I, I wanted to leave the country because I, I found it really tiresome. I, I wanted to leave. And thanks to my students' conversation with my students, I started appreciating Italy even appreciating the language as well, I started seeing the, 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 the good aspects 
of the country. Yes, there's still the negatives, but I started appreciating the the, the advantages, the, the the privilege that I have of living in a in a place like this. I started seeing things through through their eyes. At Alba Italian was born in 2016, I think. Yes, I I, I heard Lindsay. Williams talking about how wonderful Instagram was. I, I liked the idea of a welcoming place because she said it wasn't, it wasn't, there weren't many trolls there. People weren't aggressive at the time. People weren't as aggressive as they are now. So I don't know what I was worried about, but uh, that's, that's what inspired me at the beginning. And I'm so glad I did because after my first little post, within hours I'd connected with other language learners and it opened the world for me. And, uh, and that's how I sort of started understanding, having conversations with other learners and seeing what was, what they wanted, what their dreams were in Italy and with, with Italian, what, uh, what, what, yeah, what their dreams were. I get very, um, I get a bit romantic talking about this because when people come to you, with people come to you and say they want to learn Italian. They don't just, they don't exclusively want to learn a language because I don't know, the job or whatever, career possibilities. They have this dream. It's like Italy has triggered something in them, has um, sparked, lit a fire in them. Maybe has put them in, maybe they're going through a loss or maybe they, they've come to Italy and they feel they belong. They feel this connection. They feel like there's this, bit of themselves that belongs to Italy. And so that that's how my Instagram took started shaping, taking shape around this this way of it's about them, but it's also about me, because obviously I've embraced so many things due to my experience. I mean I could not with what I've been through, I, I, I don't think I could have a very aggressive approach to language learning or grammar-centered approach to, to language learning because that's not what my, my clients are all about. Uh, you had just mentioned Instagram and how it was a crucial tool for you in developing your language teaching. But it, at the very first Women in Language conference, you actually gave a talk about how to use Instagram as a language learning tool. So could you share a bit how you use Instagram to learn languages? Uh, it's a, still, after all this time, it's still a, a wonderful tool because... So this is one of my pet peeves. And I, I, I want to get in touch with the culture, with the authentic culture, with, with, with what people are really doing. Even if I don't understand everything that's written or is being said, I just want to feel that I'm, this is, I'm in touch in a way. And thanks to hashtags, thanks to, you know, just look, doing some research online. Now everybody's on Instagram, but before it didn't used to be that way. And before it was a bit harder to find authentic uh, profiles, I would look for people that were actually, you know, from the country of the uh, language I was learning and try to integrate my own interests with, um, with, um, with Instagram and the language I'm learning. And, uh, I would, I, I used stories massively more than the posts, maybe. Posts would be like literature for me because, you know, I, I, I cannot, some languages, I cannot read a book, but I can, handle an Instagram post because even when it's really long, there's a limit 
And I, I, it's less intimidating, especially. I think that's more and the main reason, I guess, we're less intimidated, you know? And then I just enjoyed using stories to just feel I was in another country, to just uh, hear, you know, just a snippet makes you feel like you're in touch. And I think that that nurturing that sense of connection, feeling that you're there with the language, with people that are speaking the language, it's really important right from the beginning. It doesn't matter if you're not understanding things. You just exposing yourself and getting a feel, getting a vibe, I think it's really important because what I see is not my case because I know how to move around online and get in touch with a cultural language. Uh, but from what I see, most language learners feel like they're locked out inside this language learning world where they get graded well, not graded, but, you know, artificial, contrived language, contrived content. And that is something that language learners find really frustrating. It doesn't matter that this level is a bit too high for them, you understand? They, they don't really, they want to feel that they're actually in touch with the country. And I, I can understand that completely. Lately, though, I've also been using TikTok a lot. TikTok is really good. And I think that also for language practice, because, for example, Instagram is great in stories. Uh, if you're a language learner, you go and you talk about something. You don't, Maybe you don't have time to open books that day. Possibly. You maybe you don't have time to book a session. You don't have time to do anything, but you do have time for 15 seconds to look into your camera and speak and say, hey, today I don't have any time. <laughs> say it in your target language. Yeah, you're going to get a lot of people responding. You're generating conversations, you're connecting with the community. Wow, it's amazing. I have a student. I'm done. <laughs> I have a student who he's working his land. He's plowing the land, plowing the land in Sweden. He's, uh, uh, he's all involved with the land. Lots of technical vocab that I cannot even remember. And what does he do? He takes out his phone and starts saying, I'm doing this. I'm doing that in Italian. And that's genius. I mean, see that. So he feels and he listens to podcasts while he's driving. Uh, I don't know. Remember what the name of the machine, but anyway, so he's, uh, keeping in touch. It helps you also feel more accomplished, you know, because we tend to be really hard on ourselves if we don't find that half an hour, that one hour to has one hour these days, you know? And, but if you did those 15 seconds or even 30 seconds in which you did that, it's just, yeah, you know what? I did that. When I'm at it, you're on a spree and you say, you know what? I really even have five minutes to fit in that podcast, you know? So I think it also makes you feel better about yourself. Okay. I'm done with Instagram. <laughs> I'm done. I could go on for hours. So we don't want that. No, but it's, it is very interesting that this uh, Instagram community uh, kind of, you can really find your people yes. and you can talk about your passions in a way that's relevant to you. And so like, you know, there's many different ways to learn language. And obviously something that I've written about a lot is the fast paced learning a language quicker, because that that has a place for uh, in a lot of people's lives. But you've got uh, quite the, the skill of talking about the the art of taking your time with a language. And the, you've really embraced uh, like on the likes of Instagram, you know, that you can enjoy the slow pace of uh, Italian food and mm -hmm. enjoying beautiful scenery. And like, how, how do you um, figure in this 
concept of like taking your time with a language and what, uh, how, how has that kind of shaped your experience? Take your time isn't, it's not really slow. I, I don't think that taking your time is about going slowly. Mm-hmm. I mean, or actually, let's put it this way, going slowly is actually going fast. Because when you say, when you think, okay, I don't have a lot of time, but I do want to do some language learning, but I don't want to rush. I don't want to kill myself doing this. I don't want to, I cannot, I have children, I have a sick parent or whatever reason, but I do want to do a little, little something every day. So I think that if you, when you start with like five minutes and you make those five minutes enjoy, I say five minutes because five, some, for some adults, five minutes is like a luxury that they cannot think of. They cannot even imagine five, five minutes for yourself. Wow. Where do you get that? So you start, you think, okay, five minutes and I'll do what I really want. And you can do, uh, make an Instagram story in five minutes. You can watch an Instagram story in five minutes. You can read an Instagram post in five minutes. You can even watch a bit of a TV series in five minutes. I always say five minutes because then, of course, it's never five minutes. The battle is to find the five minutes. And then it always sort of spreads out and that's when the magic happens. But the thing is doing something that you truly enjoy. And when you truly enjoy something, I say I want people to fall in lust with language learning because when you're in lust, you you find the time to do stuff. And you show up, you think of ways, okay, how can I do this little something? But not in the sense that you're going to cram every minute of the day with language learning because I, I... that, that's not respectful of your brain needs space. Your brain needs to breathe. You need to take in information. But just being strategic, saying, okay. I think what the big mindset shift here is understanding the things that we don't think are language learning actually are language learning. And that, that is my biggest, let's say, not there's a, the biggest obstacle with my clients is showing them that learning is not only happening when you're having a session on Skype or only when you are reading educational material on the language. Learning can happen in so many beautiful ways. And if you embrace them, you don't even think about have to, you don't have to think about finding the time because time will happen. And, and the things that you do, even if it's just five minutes, because you're doing things that you actually truly enjoy, you truly feel will be more meaningful and be more memorable. And we lead you to unexpected places. And yes, so that, that's how. So I think that, and think about, let's say slow learning, but I don't think it's slow at all because I think that the biggest benefit of slow learning, aside from the fact that it makes you, it helps you appreciate your time better. Uh, I think the thing about slow learning is it is more respectful. It helps with motivation. It helps long-term. I see slow learning. I don't want to call it slow learning, but this is really what it comes now. But the thing is that I think of it as a long-term investment. I mean, like you, Bennett, you've, your main thing is do this quick. Start speaking as soon as possible because otherwise you'll, you'll procrastinate for the rest of your life, which is absolutely true. I'm taking it from a different point of view. I'm taking it from, uh, okay, Start with small bits of time, bites of time, uh, doing things that you enjoy. Understand that that too is language learning. 
And then you, when you reach that phase, that intermediate plateau, you, you don't care because by you be so engrossed in doing what you actually enjoy, going down language learning rabbit holes, that you don't get time to be worrying about fluency. How many words have I learned? Oh, am I good? Am I B1? Am I B2? I don't care. I'm, I'm enjoying myself. I'm connecting with other people. I'm having fun. <laughs> and uh, so it's much harder to lose motivation and to lose your steam because it's things that you can build habits about and habits don't disappear overnight. Based on what you've said, two of the things that I've taken away as being really important to both your teaching and learning are consistency and slow learning. And when your students apply these two tactics, what sort of changes do you see in their ability to speak Italian? Well, first of all, they start, they're taking responsibility for their learning. And I know this may sound I don't know how this sounds actually. When you are taking responsibility, for, when you are an active participant in your learning, when you're not relying entirely on a tutor or a book or a course or a school, when you start noticing that you can have ideas on your own language learning, that you can have an opinion, that you're taking decisions and you see that you're actually getting results, there's a big transformation happens and you feel empowered. And you really enjoy it. And it's like, okay, you know what? I'm going to test this and see if that works. And I have clients that are just, you know, lost in their wonderful rabbit holes of uh, books and uh, songs. And, and they, they, they're doing great. They've learned that I've given them tools because I, I don't even think of myself as a teacher. I think of myself as a partner in crime. Uh, I aid them. I facilitate. Um, I'm a cheerleader. I, I am a cheerleader. But, um, and because I want them to be able to teach themselves at some point and well, teach, you know, teach in the sense of stand on their own, be able to be active, uh, find solutions for their own problems. And it's not easy to get um, students to move from that sort of passive role to that but when it happens it's beautiful and you really see a difference in uh, you see a difference in mindset people go from being worried of am i doing well am i am, am i improving am i to oh yes i'm okay because they you know they're engrossed in what they're doing and it's uh, and it's uh, it's wonderful wonderful to behold so i want to go back to what you were saying before that um it was you were going through a difficult period in your life. You were dealing with health issues mm -hmm. and language learning was kind of, um, like you said, you were able to put a positive spin on that. And it was uh, kind of reminding you of what's important in your life and that maybe you should give time into your hobbies. But at the same time, it, it was obviously going to be very difficult to find the motivation to put into a project like language learning, um, even if you're passionate about it, because going through difficult times has that way of sapping your motivation. So how did you push through days when maybe you didn't feel the energy to put into uh, language learning projects? How did you manage to push through that? Um, I don't know if I thought about it as motivation because when you are in a certain amount of pain, um, for me, it was like, um, what's the right word? It took me away. It took me away from the, the, the unpleasantness of the here and now. So I didn't really need motivation. I just wanted to mentally get away. 
And I mean, there's nothing like, I don't know, mindless exercise in a grammar book to just be projected to another reality or watching a video or a commercial in, in, in Spanish or, uh, I don't know, going through um, Japanese um, hiragana and uh, flashcards like that and just, you know, not thinking about anything or even watching, just planning a trip to these places that you are, or which language you're studying, you know? And uh, for me, it was that way. I understand it's not that way for, for everybody. And then there's also something nice about getting in touch with other people, I don't know, language exchange or what, and just sort of faking it, faking that you're feeling better. And so, and that adrenaline sort of pushes you forward. And uh, it, it was nice. I mean, I have nice memories of that because even though I, I, I read my journals and I see that I was <laughs> clearly suffering, I also see there was a period of incredible growth. There was the joy of finding out things that I had sort of lost along the way. And I think this happens to many, many of us sooner or later at some point. You know, that we have this wake up call in which we, we realize that there's some th- aspects of our life that we have to, that we neglected and we have to show up for and that we have to re, re elaborate and think over. And I'm glad it happened when it did because I'm in time to do, we're always in time to do something and make changes. What do you personally enjoy most about the language learning process? I, I, I like listening to it, listening to it and thinking about ways to imitate the sounds. And I've had this experience with Albanian, just, you know, getting lost in the sound. And it's not, it happens also with languages that are not supposed to really sound good. But I, I don't, I, I find it really thrilling just hearing the sounds, thinking how I can reproduce them and going along with them. That's something I really enjoy. And also exploring the, the, the culture through, through the music as well and just getting lost in that and uh, it's uh, something I really something I don't know something that really it's something that sounds silly also silly but sometimes when it's a language I, I like I just get I don't know sort of excited like I don't know really almost goosebumps sounds that are so beautiful I, say, I want to make those sounds too <laughs> I think creativity has played a big role in your language learning story because like you said, you, um, you're naturally gravitated towards Instagram and now recently TikTok, the idea of creating content. And, um, I think for people, creativity can come in many forms. So like, how can people integrate that kind of creativity into their language learning story? Well, the word creativity is so scary for the majority of people because they think, they think about Van Gogh, they think about, you know, perfection when it's not, not about that. It's creativity is about, Allowing yourself to, to play around, to, to fool around and understanding that playing around, toying with things, that too is part of the learning process. Just doing things a bit differently, exploring, um, just thinking outside of the box a tiny bit. For example, I don't know. Uh, I, I remember spending a lot of time journaling in Spanish. And when I didn't have enough Spanish, okay, I would just write three words for that day that describe that day. And I don't know if that is that creative. I mean, in a way it is because the words that I learned from that, because they were relevant to me, stayed with me. And I, I still remember sacar la basura is to throw away the garbage. I'm not forgetting that. And it's a very useful thing to know. So I don't know. And 
I don't, I, I, I sort of worry always about this word creativity because like many people, I'm intimidated by the word creativity. But at the same time, I, I love the idea of exploring different ways. And I love the online world for offering this opportunity of just saying, why don't I try to apply this to language learning? I've, I've understood in time that I am capable of finding a language learning exercise out of practically anything. And it's fun, it's exhilarating and, um, it's really, really inspiring. I think that the biggest takeaway is that I want people, everybody to, I want people to understand that language learning it has, it has so many shapes and forms and really sky is the limit, you know? We make so many assumptions based on what our experience at school was. I think that that plays a big role, that language learning has to be in a certain way and learning in general has to be in a certain way. So one of the things that you do in addition to your teaching is you now host the All About Italian Language Immersion Retreats, or uh, you have in the past and will hopefully do them again in the future. Um, how did that idea come about and what exactly is a language retreat? Okay, so I will be doing it in the future. I'm so excited to be saying this. I can't believe I'm saying this. <laughs> it's so wonderful to be able to to make some sort of a plan for the future. Um. It happened by accident. I, some of my clients, the common complaint was that they would come to Italy and feel like they were in a bubble, feel like they knew what people were saying, that they, they but they weren't, they felt left on the outside. They were, felt they were seeing things from the outside and they would come and visit and they would enjoy the most mundane things with me. Like, oh, wow, let's go and buy potatoes. And I'm like, and, and, you know, it'd be, they'd find that exciting. So that was one thing that sort of got me thinking. And then every time I would go to my hometown in the South, I'd show it in my Instagram stories and the phone goes on fire. The response is so emotional, so strong. And, and it's a very small town, small town, definitely small, locked in the past in a good way. And people just responded to it in a very emotional way. So that gave me the idea of creating this moment in which people sort of leave aside their life, leave aside the business, the, the hecticness, and uh, take time to, it's almost a getaway. You know, you take a break from your life to, and through Italian, you also let this slow lifestyle, this uh, ancient lifestyle, you live it. Because I don't, during the retreat, people don't just, are not just shut in a room doing exercises no because it's so it's very old italy people live in the ships all senior citizens get out during the summer will get out a table and start playing cards in the streets old grandmothers are knitting in the alleys there's a lot of street life so i bring my clients there i show them i show them this and i what they do is they, I, I create opportunities for them to interact with this, with this life, with this community. And they feel almost immediately a part of it because people in the South, in this town, don't know English and are very friendly. They, they, they actually, people have time to stop and have a conversation with you. I mean, you'll get, you'll go to the bakery and people will crowd around you and suggest what kind of bread you should be buying. There are so many possibilities for spontaneous conversation and all I do is plan around that how to generate this 
spontaneous conversations and these activities so that it's not only exclusively speaking Italian to go, but also taking in that pace of life. I schedule breaks as an actual resting time to take it all in, but to just spend time with yourself and to just feel the pace of this place. And I don't know, for example, at 4.30, the fishing boats come in in the port and the fishmongers unload the fish. And there's this whole crowd that gathers to watch. And that's one of the things that we do is to go and watch that. And then we have drinks and, or we go to farmer's market and they have, my clients have to look for very weird ingredients, local ingredients. Otherwise they will not have dinner or <laughs> something like that. So incentives like that, so they can live the experience of farmer's market. Uh, they can see the social life that is happening at a farmer's market in a small provincial town. And, uh, and it's really, really incredible. And for example, another complaint of students learning Italian is about dialect. And, and that's something I take face on. Um, and, um, even with my coffee breaks, I, I address, let's, let's look at dialect. Let's, let's, I give them words and I say, okay, let's do some eavesdropping exercises. See how many times you've heard this word being said. Because dialect, I don't believe that I should be giving a, a standard version. I mean, obviously I don't speak dialect also because I, I don't know dialect, but I do think that Talking about it, looking at it, observing it helps take the fear down a notch. And uh, because dialect is a wonderful part of the heritage of a country and it should be celebrated, not be feared. And I give them tools to, I give students, clients tools to just uh, take that as part of the experience. Notice where, from what languages those words are coming from, because of course there's a wonderful history behind it. And, uh, I get really emotional when I talk about the all about Italian retreat because it's a moment to, I don't know, to regroup through Italian. And I, like I've gone to countries by myself and I've had the pressure of both learning the language and trying to arrange my life in the country. So it's a lot of pressure. So a retreat can really take that pressure off and uh, somebody who's from the place can... Uh, kind of make it the transition a lot easier for you. And of course, we'll make sure in the show notes that we're giving links that people can check out and uh, potentially join you on this retreat. But what do you think would make, like whether someone was going on your retreat or if they were going to another part of the world on another retreat, what do you think makes a retreat a success? And what um, what things should people look for if, if they're comparing two retreats? What do you think one would be um, a more positive experience for them. Depends on what your goal is. If your goal is, I have to learn this language because of a job or whatever, then, I don't know, going to a, um, a school in the country and doing intensive lessons could make sense. But if, like with most people that are learning Italian are not learning it for any specific reason except for their passion, it makes sense to pick a place, say you're learning French or Spanish, you know, uh, it makes sense to take, choose a retreat that is not too tourist oriented because you don't want to be spending your time running from one tourist attraction to another. You want to get a sense of the country, a sense of the culture, because that 
sense of culture then helps you learn the language even more. You cannot learn the language without the culture. You cannot learn the language without, and by culture, I don't mean, oh, on Sundays we do this. No, getting a sense of the pace of the rhythm of the country. So I think you'd have to pay a lot of attention to maybe avoiding tourist attractions specifically. As, and it sounds bad because it's not that I want to discourage people from visiting main attractions, but if your goal is to get to know the more authentic side of the country, you, the language you're learning, that's something you're, I mean, you, you're not going to learn much in Rome or in Madrid. I mean, yes, you, you learn something, of course you will, but you will learn so much more and you will also be subsidizing smaller economies smaller <laughs> so i don't know i think that not going like you know people that want to learn english and go to london in a school in london i mean they're not going to learn english in, in a school in london that's, that's not going to happen that's not happening <laughs> so lo look at that look at what what values does the the, the tutor have what, what what is their teaching style and see if they mesh with you because you, it's about you at the end of the day it's, that's what is really getting a bit lost in language learning in general. We, we're losing sight of ourselves. We have to adapt some things to ourselves and not look for one size fits, fits all. Because when we do that, we're getting a, we might be getting a better price. We're not getting a good service. We're not getting, we're getting something that eventually will make us feel bad about ourselves because we're not one size. We're not all the same size. We all have learned different learning paces and we have to choose things that reflect and honor these differences. Differences are good. That's how we actually learn, you know, when we honor those differences and we are able to push ourselves a bit forward and improve. I hope I answered. I answered, yes. Yes, I answered. <laughs> so in addition to the language retreats, you also host um, Compodole Nostra Italian Conversations with Sylvia and Barbara. It's an Italian podcast. So can you tell us a little bit about what this podcast is? Yes. it's uh, Well, it was born from conversations. It was a mastermind with, with my two fellow teachers started out as a mastermind because teaching online can be a bit lonely and complicated. And so we would speak on WhatsApp and Telegram. And then we started speaking about other stuff, all sorts of stuff, diets, pets, boyfriends. And, and that's how it sort of gave us an idea of why not, why don't we share some of these conversations with, with our, with our students? Our conversations are not scripted, which may, which makes it hard. We have an outline of what we're going to say, but when we actually record, we never know what's going to happen. And it leads us in beautiful places. I mean, I go to recording of Comparole Nostre and I always learn something more or about my friends, uh, Barbara and Silvia, but I learn something about myself. I have unexpected memories. I learn something more about Italian culture. We're from different areas of Italy. So that we bring that as well. She's, um, Silvia's from Tuscany. I'm from Lazio and, uh, Barbara is from Marche. So we bring different intonations as well, different accents. And it's about being authentic. It's like, you know, when you're traveling and you're, or no, even when you're not traveling, when you hear somebody speaking, some other people speaking another language, you sort of eavesdrop to hear what they're saying. That is what we're trying to give with Comparano Nostre. 
giving people an opportunity to eavesdrop on an authentic conversation and get ready to act- make actual Italian friends and, yeah, get a sense from the inside. It's a bit challenging, but it's totally worth it because, again, we're talking about the tourist bubble, people feeling left out, which is normal, it happens. This way is a way of seeing how, because we get distracted, we forget we are talking. We're talking with, with each other, you understand, when we're recording. And that, that means that we're speaking differently. We're picking different words than the words we would pick if we were speaking at our audience teaching. That makes the quality of the language and of the conversation very interesting. And um, our listeners, the thing they most remark on that they enjoy most even when they don't understand everything, is the laughter. Because they 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 relate to that warmth, the friendship that is there. And uh, that that keeps them going and keeps them inspired. And one thing like with Italian especially uh, that I'm sure they find just fascinating is the range of dialects that are used. Like you said, you guys have different accents and you might use different words. But um, for me, Italian is uh, a very unique um, situation in Europe because the the dialects really stand out. And I'm curious how you would what advice you would give to somebody who who truly wants to learn a particular dialect. Because, like for instance, when I was in Italy, uh, I was also living in in Lazio, and the um, uh, family I, I had uh, dinner with a, 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 a friend of mine. And his family were speaking in Romano dialect. Oh, and, so uh, he, it was beautiful, but he had to actually translate uh, from Romano to Italian, which was very funny to, to have to have like a translation without even going uh, to like a foreign language, as it were. Um, but like if I if I wanted to uh, truly learn the Romano dialect or any other specific dialect of uh, Italian beyond the um, obviously the. Um, the dialect from Florence is the one that tends to be used in all of the academic books for learning Italian. But how can someone really dive into a particular dialect? It depends on the dialect, actually. Such a great question because there are people who decide, okay, my parents were from this area. That's what they spoke. I want, that's what I want to learn to, to honor them. If it's a main dialect, like, like, uh, Roman, I mean, you, you'll find plenty of, of material. And Sicilian as well, and there's not plenty of material, but Sicilians are so, the dialect is spoken by s- such a wide range. It's not a dialect, by the way, Sicilian, so I just want to be, but it's people consider it, you know, not Italian. Um, so if it's a smaller dialect, things can get harder. But smaller towns do try to honor the, the dialects and print material, and you can look in in libraries and get in touch with teachers that can help you out. My suggestion, for example, I have these um, courses, Coffee Break with Montalbano, based on the TV series Montalbano, that is also in Sicilian. And what I do is I take the parts that are in dialect, and I put the translation, so to speak, in Italian. And I get, even with the dialect, I, I don't understand Sicilian, you understand? So I'm just saying, look, I'm not an authority on Sicilian. But here, I, you and I can figure this out together. Look at the similarities with Italian. Look at the differences. Reflect on them. And then 
I like to just help them compare visually, look at them carefully, the two different versions side by side. I create these tables in which Sicilian on one side, Italian on one side, and then under English and just try to get them to reflect and to take that in. Because I do think it's important to take in differences within Italian culture and understand them and try to understand and try to tackle them. Uh, specifically to actually speak them, there are courses, there are YouTube videos, there are people who, but it's a bit of, I think that the, it's like with endangered languages, you know, that the big part of minority languages, the big bulk of the work is finding the material and then getting it organized and then finding maybe a, a tutor that can guide you through this little material that you have. That's, you know, one of the cases in which searching for the material becomes almost, you know, the, uh, uh, a goal in itself. So, but it's definitely worth a try. It's part of, it's such an important part of, yeah, it's, it's, it's not as hard as people think. It's like a language. You just have to take it down a notch and look at the influences from French, from Spanish. In Sicilian, you have influences from Arab. It's fascinating. So it's, Definitely something to keep an open mind about, not to fear. So you have one more project that I want to touch on because I'm a total foodie and I love food. And you are co-host of Cook and Chat, where you share Italian recipes, which is um, like one of the most notable cuisines. Um, it's mm. kind of become global. Um, you can find it anywhere, but there's nothing like home-cooked Italian, right? So how did you get involved in that project and, and what are some of the things that you do as a part of it? Oh, you're going to make me cry now. It's very emotional because it started in the first lockdown last year and where things here were totally crazy. And we, I was hosting lives on Instagram every day because that's where everybody was. I just, you know, I, I had to get my energy somewhere because things were really awful here. And I was hosting these lives and so many people would come on just to, you know, take their mind off things. And my friend Barbara one day said, you know what, today I'm cooking. <laughs> and so on Instagram, we started, she would cook because obviously I, I, I cannot. I would chat and people, hundreds of people would come because we were all in lockdown then at that point. And it, it was wonderful because, you know, I know you're a foodie. I knew you would be talking about this. Uh, the thing about Italian food is that it's not hard to make, but it's hard to under, it's, it's the simplicity, the, the crucial part, understanding that it has to be kept simple, that you have to look for the Good, authentic ingredients. You have to keep it simple. You have to respect that simplicity. Anyway, we would cook on Instagram, but there was a limit to what we were able to do. Was you know showing what we had, uh, the dishes, the the connection. So we went on Zoom, and we have monthly. We interrupted now for the summer, but we have these monthly monthly sessions, and it's wonderful because. Uh, obviously people have to bring their own Italian drinks. It can be Italian beer, wine, whatever, but it has to be, it has to be some drink. And people either cook along with us, which is fantastic because think about the language implications there. You're hearing everything in Italian, food, slicing, you're act, uh, matching language with actions. So wow. And then flavor, because of course what you're eating will bring to you all the, Endless possibilities. I'll just stop talking. I don't want to get lost there. Anyway, so, uh, we will, and 
in an Italian kitchen, that happens. You know, you, you have the person that's cooking, you have the people around the person who's cooking that will give suggestions, chat about this and that. Long conversations I had before you even start eating, just around the cooking in the Italian, in an Italian kitchen. And that's what we ended up making on, on Zoom in a way with uh, limitations. And if the dish was connected with some video or some movie, I mean, if they were, I could find some movie or something connected, for example, we did calzone fritto and I found a wonderful video of Sofia Loren making a calzone fritto. And we watched that as well. Or if there's a song connected, <laughs> lots of fun. Sorry. I get, I get really excited about it because People connect around food. They let down the guard. They feel close. And I think that during the pandemic, this was just so important. It really took our mind off of things because, I mean, what is more soothing than food? But even after the pandemic, I mean, think, there's just, it's another way that when we're talking about getting to a culture, accessing a culture, and food is definitely a way to access a culture, a, a nation, and a, a language. Absolutely. Yeah, I can I can feel your passion for it as you're talking about it. I'm sure other <laughs> listeners can too. Um, yes. It's amazing that you can share this passion with the world and uh, we'll definitely be be sure to to link to all of your projects in the show notes. But one question we do like to ask people uh, as they come on this podcast is what would you understand as language hacking? What does it mean to you? Language hacking is when you're not, the biggest hack of all is when you're not thinking about mm, language learning. And not, not, not as in not thinking, not focusing on the outcome, but you're focusing on the process. You get so lost in the process, you forget all about the outcome. Well, not completely about the outcome, but it's not, it's not as dominant. And that is a, a hack. It's an incredible hack because it takes away all the stress around the process and, and that stress usually is our downfall. And, uh, and it, it, it's just so easier to incorporate into your life. And, uh, please don't get me started. I'll go on talking for hours, please. <laughs> I love talking about this stuff. <laughs> of course. And we, we loved hearing from you. This was very, very interesting. I think people are going to, um, really enjoy this uh, episode and um, we'll make sure that people can find you online and to, to share your passion with language learning. It's uh, absolutely contagious. So people should um, go, go hear all the things you have and check out your Instagram and your TikTok and everything. All right. Well, thank you everybody for joining us for the episode. And until the next time, we'll wish everyone a very happy language learning. Happy language learning. Happy language learning. Bye. All right, so at the end of each episode, Benny and I like to share a takeaway that we got from our conversation with our guest. And this is something that's immediately actionable, something that you can put into practice with your language learning to see real results. So I'm going to go ahead and start this time. My takeaway was about when Elfin was talking about how she uses Instagram for teaching specifically and how she used that to kind of figure out what learners were doing, what they were interested in and what wasn't working for them, what their struggles were. And 
not because I'm necessarily interested in teaching languages, but I think it just shows the power of communication and conversation and the language learning community that it's so easy to find these little bubbles where you can reach out to other people who share your passion for language learning and you can chat with them and find out what they're doing, what works for them, what doesn't work for them and take that and use that information to work on your own language learning, to develop what you're doing, to discovering what works for you, what doesn't work for you, and looking at what sorts of things they're evaluating, what sorts of progress they're getting, and realizing your potential in those areas too. And also just having a supportive community, having people that you can talk to. Language learning can be a lonely thing because for the most part, it's something you just kind of sit and do on your own. So having other people that you can get in touch with and talk to and get answers from and get feedback from is just really powerful. What about you, Benny? So I really liked, uh, I really wanted to hear what um, she had done during her difficult period where she was actually going through like physical pain and, um, you know, because these these can, things can really suck your energy. And I like that she she put that back to me and said, well, motivation is the wrong way of looking at it. And like I, I ask myself that question all the time. How can I get the motivation to do these things? But I think if you reframe it, that if you're, as she said it, if you fall in lust with the language, then you will find a way. You'll find a way to be, make it become a part of your life. And it can become this form if you are going through difficult times. It can be a form of escapism that you can just have a completely different type of life because your, uh, your whole goal, your whole thing right now is learning this language. And I think that's a better way to think of it. If, if instead of if you're in a moment of uh, low spirits, instead of thinking, you know, how can I motivate myself to learn language? Maybe very simply, if you're thinking my life sucks right now, then this is a way for me to get my mind off that. And language learning is the way to, to just have that shining light in your life. And I really uh, love her passion for, the, for language learning came through in the whole interview. But that really spoke to me that if um, you frame it, if you're constantly looking for motivation, then it's a lot harder to find. But if you just see the language for what it is, as a truly um, amazing source of passion in your life and you fall in lust with the language, then that can really change your perspective and help you get momentum with it. So that was my takeaway. Definitely. It's, it's been that for me, for sure. So it's nice to hear that other people use it in the same way. Mm -hmm. All right. So if you are listening to this podcast and enjoying this episode or the podcast in general, we'd love to hear from you. You can let us know what you think at languagehacking.com slash review. And again, all of the links and resources mentioned in this episode are available to you in the show notes. So we look forward to the next chat and until then, happy language learning. Happy language learning. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Language Hacking Podcast. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you found this episode valuable and want to help us out, please leave a review at languagehacking.com forward slash review. The Language Hacking Podcast is presented by Benny Lewis and Shannon Kennedy and produced by David Sobel, with special thanks to the Fluent in Three Months team. The theme music was written and performed by Shannon Kennedy. Find the show notes at languagehacking.com forward slash podcast. Thanks for listening and happy language learning.